1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Let's talk about the gift of tongues in this part two of the message. Let me read these verses. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6, Paul writes and he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation? And he goes on to say, or knowledge, or prophecy, or some teaching. Then he says, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anybody know what, what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the day of battle? And he goes on and he says this, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, watch this, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, that's a reference to unbelievers, how can anybody in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, in our midst tonight, there are people that are completely comfortable with the theology concerning tongues and the practice of tongues. There are others who are very uncomfortable with it. It's not been their uh, genre of churches. They are kind of holding on saying, I hope nothing crazy happens. And I remember being like that too. I remember being very intimidated and very awkward concerning the gift of tongues. And then there are others who are saying, man, I don't have a dog in this fight. I just want to know what's true. And if God's got something for me that I haven't experienced, I'm volunteering. I want all that God has. And the joy for me is this. When we all go into the word of God together, the word of God, as I've said before, has a, an incredible ability to straighten out all of our theological uh, crookedness. We just go to the word. And we don't denominationalize the Bible. And we don't try to make the Bible say more than it says. And so you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, and hopefully a Bible-living church. We want to know what does the Word say because we are convinced that God honors and blesses those who will say yes to His Word, His revelation, and then align their lives with it. And so let's look at that tonight. And again, we're going to start out with what I call a cautionary word about tongues. Tongues is an incredible gift. And we established some of that in the last message, but we do need to go where the Bible goes. And there's a cautionary word about the practice of the gift of tongues. And here are some parameters for tongues when the church is gathered. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I am going to address these because it's in the Scripture. First of all, and you can leave your Bible open if you brought one with you. Stay in 1 Corinthians 14. But in verse number 6, we're taught that tongues, when they're used in the gathered church, if they're not interpreted, they have no ability to build up anybody. One of the things we've got to settle as Bible-believing Christians who affirm and practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to Christians in order that we might use them to build up others. That is the primary uh, objective for God giving the gifts. They are ministry gifts, and yes, they build us up too, but what we're seeing in the church of Corinth is there was this kind of boundless exercise of speaking in tongues that we find out in this passage that was breeding confusion. So in other words, people were very comfortable in their own home or walking down the street and they're praying in tongues and they're singing in tongues and they're they're becoming fluent in the gift of tongues. And yet when they were coming to the church together, because they are so enriched privately by the gift of tongues, they're exercising that gift indiscriminately when the church is gathered. And so while the church is coming together, remember, it's not a setting like this. It typically was in a big room. It was somebody's home, somebody's property, and typically probably not more than 15 to 30 people gathered. And so in a small gathering like that, if two or three people are worshiping in tongues or praying in tongues, it can be very disruptive, especially Paul, when Paul has already stipulated that the purpose of tongues in the gathered church is a prophetic function. What he is saying here is he's already teaching them that if tongues is going to be used openly in the church, that it should be accompanied with an interpretation. The question is why? If it's okay in private, and we're going to substantiate that tonight, if it's okay in private not to have an interpreter with tongues, what's the big deal in the church? Well, in the church, we're not individual worshipers. In the church, we may worship as individual Christians, but our worship is supposed to be connected to others. And when somebody's private worship becomes predominant and it excludes others, Paul will stipulate, as he did in chapter 13, that that's not loving. It means we are taking our moment with Jesus and we're allowing it to trump the needs of others. And so that's why he says in verse number six, and this is something that I got convicted of this week. He says, therefore, if you are praying in tongues, you should also pray that you might be able to interpret. I believe that is um, in verse 13, actually. But in verse number six, we're taught that apart from the interpretation, tongues in the gathered church doesn't build up anybody. So I want you to think about that. I just want you to think about it. As we were singing and worshiping tonight, and it wasn't loud, it wasn't distracting. I don't think anybody was out of bounds tonight. There were many of us that are singing in tongues or quietly praying in tongues. That's not an issue. But it literally boils down to it getting to a volume where it becomes something of a distraction to other people. And I do believe that the scriptures indicate that's not the proper use of the gifts. And so we're not drawing hard, fast, legalistic rules here. We're saying we've got to be motivated by others. If the primary use of the gift of tongues in the gathered assembly is that they might be given, they might be interpreted, and the body is built up, then let's be very careful with our private use of tongues when we gather together. Here's the second caution. Tongues from apart, apart from interpretation can actually result in confusion. That's what Paul was talking about. He's saying, hey guys, if the person playing the flute doesn't know how to play the flute and they're hitting all of these bad notes, it's really confusing. 
I, I like the fact that the scripture expects those that play instruments and do music actually have the ability to do it. And I know that's not popular and it's not necessarily politically correct, but listen, there's a reason why I'm not on the praise team. I enjoy singing. Don't give me a mic. It's not a blessing to other people. What Paul is saying here is this. In the, in the musical world, if the, if the flautist is just going away and he or she is blowing on that flute, but if they don't have the skill and they're not hitting the right notes, the song is ruined. And then he's talking about a military exercise. He says, and, and just remember, they would blow the shofar in ancient days. They blow that ram's horn. There was a distinct uh, a pattern of blowing in the horn that would signal everybody, here comes the enemy, it's time to fight. And Paul says, if we're not giving the right blowing on the horn, who's going to get ready for the battle? So in other words, the sound of what is going forth has an effect on other people. And so if we're not utilizing our sound-making ability on the flute or on the battle bugle, it's not going to have the intended purpose accomplished. Same way with tongues. If, if they're not being used in a way that is, in, in a sense, orderly, then it's going to breed confusion. And so Paul is telling them, and remember, he's talking to a church that is actually abusing this gift. He's saying, make sure that what you're doing is, is seeing the big picture is taking into consideration the other people, and it can't be a cacophony of, of crazy noises going up because that doesn't honor the Lord. All it does is say, well, I'm taking my moment, and I'm going to praise God, and I don't care what anybody thinks. That's kind of the attitude that he's addressing there. Then the third thing there, this third cautionary word about tongues is this, verses 12 and 13. And this is where I got convicted earlier this week. All who speak in tongues should actively seek for the gift of interpretation. Look in verse number 13. This is borderline a command. It, it says in verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't do that very often. I asked here last week, does anybody say that they are kind of fluid in the gift of interpretation? We didn't have a single person in the congregation that said, yeah, that's a gift. Now, maybe you're here tonight, you weren't here last week, and say, no, I actually do have that gift. I really would like to talk to you because I don't see that gift operative a lot in the church. I don't think it's prioritized enough. But here's the amazing thing. The Word of God says that if you speak in tongues that it's expected of you that you would ask God to develop the ability for you to interpret tongues. And I'll just be honest with you, I haven't been doing that for years. I, occasionally I'll throw one up, I was like, oh Lord, by the way, if, if, if you'd like for me to become fluent in interpretation, that'd be great. But it's not something I pursue. And yet when I read the scriptures, the Bible is saying it's actually really beneficial that, that if you have the ability to speak in tongues, Go ahead and go for bonus, amen. Go ahead and go for the whole enchilada. Ask God to give you the ability to interpret. You know what that actually tells me? That it is not beyond the biblical pattern for somebody to speak in a tongue and also give the interpretation. And friends, I'm just going to tell you, we don't see that a whole lot. I believe that what I'm about to talk about, the private use of tongues, quite frankly, that's my favorite component of tongues. Because when you get in the gathered church, you really have to regulate it. You actually have to think about what you're doing with the practice of tongues. And the reason why is because it's like anything else in the gathered worship setting. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are to submit to one another in love. And love indicates that my job is to seek the highest good of the other person. And so you actually have to regulate yourself. Some people are in the mindset 
of this, that, well, tongues is just something that happens in the moment and you can't stop it. Well, I have a slight problem with that because the Bible actually teaches the opposite. The Bible actually teaches, and when it's giving it in the context of prophecy right here in this chapter, that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Meaning, we can't cop out and say, I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit just grabbed my tongue and it was... It, uh, I couldn't do anything to stop it. There's no Bible for that. Now, I will, I will confess this. There are moments where you get so filled that you don't want to stop it, right? There are moments where you're just like, man, I know I'm not really supposed to, but boom, and you're just going to let it roll. I'm just going to say we've got to be, we've got to be wise in how we do that. If, if you're an observant person, occasionally, and I don't recommend that this be why you come to worship, but occasionally you'll see somebody near you, and that person is mature, and that person is filled, and that person is worshiping, and she may be in that moment doing this, just hands in front of her mouth, and what you won't know is that she is praying in tongues and worshiping in tongues, but she doesn't want to be a distraction. And I'm going to tell you, we are not going to police that kind of thing around here. To me and your pastors here, your elders, perfectly acceptable with that. There, there used to be the idea that any tongues, I've had people tell me this in the last year, any tongue speaking in the gathered worship setting must be interpreted even if it's private and quiet. And I don't think you can back that up with scripture. When it is elevated, when it is recognized, it should be accompanied with an interpreter. And if there are moments in worship where you're wondering, am I allowed to pray in tongues? Here, I would just encourage you to do what I do. I've seen Dustin do that even tonight. Just, just being discreet with it. Because literally, it is you worshiping the Lord, the Lord praying or singing through you, and it's a beautiful thing. But when it starts to impact people around you, I want you to know that love, remember 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I don't have love, then he goes on to say it, it doesn't have any value. So let's be loving, let's be considerate, let's be kind, but let's not be legalists with this. And let's not quench the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna tell you something, there, it is a beautiful exercise, which God himself, we've got to remember this, the gift of tongues is God's idea. It, it, it's not man's idea. It, it's not a denominational idea. God originated tongues. God imparts the ability to speak, pray, or sing in tongues. And so it can't be a bad thing, although we defined last week, at times it's a strange thing, but there's a lot of stuff about our faith that seems strange until we fully embrace what God is doing and recognize that the, the, he's a supernatural God who acts in supernatural ways. And sometimes if, if he's present, supernatural things are going to be going on all around us or within us. And so let's not be afraid of that. All right. So let's get down into the passage, the part of the passage that I want to focus on for the rest uh, of our time together. And this is the area of tongues privately exercised in prayer and worship. And this is something that I'll be bold with you about. I want this for every Christian, every single Christian. And I'll be even bolder. I believe that it is possible for every single Christian to be able to exercise privately in worship an array of, of moments where he or she is utilizing prayer language or singing in tongues. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible teaches that it's good for your soul to do that. The Bible says that it is spiritually enriching. Book of Jude, I believe verse number 21, and it teaches that when we are praying in the Spirit, we are building ourselves up in our most holy faith. And that's a good thing. So, well, Jeff, 
we're not supposed to build ourselves up. Well, let me just ask you a question. Do you study your Bible to build yourself up in the faith? Nobody would debate that. Do you pray to build yourself up in the faith? Do you serve? Doesn't that exercise your, your, your gifting? Maybe not a supernatural gift, so to speak, but when you serve, you're building yourself up in the faith. It blesses others, but it also enriches you. We do a lot of stuff as Christians that build ourselves up in the faith, and yet it seems that this issue of tongues has been singled out and say, well, we ought not do that. That doesn't have any benefit to others. Well, when you're by yourself, my friends, let me tell you, go for it. You need to be building yourself up in the faith. There are so many disciplines that we need to embrace and opportunities and even supernatural powers and endowments that will enrich, strengthen, and grow us in the faith. And I believe that the Bible is very clear that tongues is one of those. So look in chapter 14 and verse number 14. Let me just say this. If you're ever going to give yourself to the availability and the practice of tongues, tongues requires humility. And here's the reason why. Paul said this, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, don't you dare rush past what the apostle just said there. Paul said this, if, and it indicates when, when I am praying in a tongue, Paul, the theological giant, He's not some wacko. Paul is a theologically driven apostle. And he said, I'm a tongue talker. And when I pray in tongues, watch what he says. He says, it is spiritual. It is supernatural. His human spirit in concert with the Holy Spirit brings forth a language, a tongue that comes forth using his tongue, his lips, his vocal cords, his voice, and something comes out of him. But notice what he says about it. This is why it's humbling. He says, my mind doesn't know what I'm saying. Do you see that? He said, my mind is unfruitful. Now, this is where a lot of people have the, the highest uh, hurdle to clear. Jeff, tongues doesn't make any sense. I don't really feel comfortable. It doesn't feel holy. It doesn't feel right for me to be saying things, and I don't know what I'm saying. But the fact of the matter is, is that until or unless God gives the interpretation, when you're praying in tongues, you're not actually supposed to know what's coming out of your mouth. Now, you can know it by way of interpretation, and I have experienced God showing me later what I was praying in, the, in tongues, but the beauty of it is this. Paul says, when I'm in the act of doing it, I don't know what I'm saying. That's pretty intense because we're dignified. We're educated. Uh, we're enlightened. We're cultured. We're, we're, you know, we're given over to more of a, a bookish approach to the faith. And when it comes to tongues, it just seems a little silly. It's embarrassing. It's foolish. I remember I prayed privately in tongues for about six years before I ever prayed out loud in tongues in front of somebody else. And the first time I did it, it was, it was actually, it took courage. Because I thought, what if after all these years when I do it out loud, I find out I'm not doing it right? <laughs> Because I assumed there was like a code or a book or, a, you know, th this syllable means this. And so it, it, was, it was strange for me. But it requires a lot of humility. And quite frankly, let me give you this. And some of these notes I'll expand and some of them I just want to kind of shepherd you through some of this. I've heard, I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard pray in tongues. And I, there, there is this kind of stereotype that all tongues sound the same. We joke about it a little bit. We make fun of ourselves sometimes. We say stuff like, Bada Hyundai, shoulda bada Honda. You know, that, that sounds like tongues. Or you tie my bow tie, untie my bow tie. 
You know, that, that sounds like tongues. I get that. Fred Flintstone was the first documented American that ever spoke in tongues. He said, yabba dabba do. Amen. So just joking. Relax. Y'all, y'all are a little too serious tonight. My point being is this. I, I, I've heard incredibly uh, different uh, along the parameter of what people are sounding like and what they're saying. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I read a man who's a very educated, got a lot of letters behind his name. He's a theologian, but he, he also speaks in tongues. And he, he wrote this in a book. I mean, he put it in print. He said, when I pray in tongues, I sound like a Chinese woman. That's what he said. And I thought to myself, all right, if he's going to risk it, I'll risk it. When I pray in tongues, I sound like an African man. Isn't that crazy? Now you say, well, Jeff, what is all of that? I don't know. My mind's unfruitful. That's what Paul said. And so, to the degree that I must understand all of the nuances of it, I'm going to overcomplicate it, and it will interrupt the fluidity of it. Because it is not primarily an intellectual exercise. Paul indicates on some level, it bypasses the intellect. And again, that's very difficult for a lot of us in the West. We want to intellectually understand everything that we're doing. Of course, this objection has been raised. Doesn't that open the door for a demonic spirit to come in and take control of me? Um, the answer to that was given by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He, he actually taught that because God is a good father, if one of his children asks for a gift, will God hear that request and instead give them a bad gift? Jesus said this, no, you're, he said, you guys are sinful fathers, and you know how to give your, your children good gifts. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And then in the other passage, the other gospel, he said, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask? And both of those apply. Giving the Holy Spirit, giving the good gifts. Jesus actually said, when you're seeking the Father and you're open to what God is doing, the, the, the one thing that can't happen is for God to allow a demon to get in there and own you. And so, friends, the, the fears that are perpetrated to a lot of us are simply answered by Scripture. This is also very interesting, and, well, it's interesting to me. It may or may not be to you. But the objection I heard for so many years from people that I loved and people that don't believe in tongues or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're not bad people. They disagree with us theologically and doctrinally. I say this, I, I think they're missing out just like I did for many, many years. I think they're cutting themselves off from certain uh, potent moments in the kingdom. I do believe they're, 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 they're missing some of what God offers, but it doesn't make them reprobate or bad Christians. Here's the thing that they used to say. Well, it's got to be a known language. Jeff, Acts chapter 2, they all heard them speaking in their own languages. It must always be known languages. And they say, Jeff, I've, I've researched tongues. I've heard it online. I've, I've, I've seen this kind of stuff. I've seen it abused. And those aren't known languages. Let me give you something to just slow you down in that thought. Let me give you a little tidbit from the secular world. I, I don't believe this man is a, a, a believer necessarily, but he is a linguist if he's still living. Um, he was an anthropologist and a linguist, and his name was C.F. Vogelin. And in 1977, he wrote a big book that none of us ever read, and it was called Classification and Index of the World's Languages. Dun-dun-dun. Rush to Amazon and get you a copy, amen. Well, here's what he said in this book. In his research, in, in, that in the, in the course of human history, that there have been approximately 20,000 human languages and dialects in the course of human history. And 
at, up to this point, 1977, when he wrote this book, he said somewhere close to three quarters of those languages had died out. And then another piece of literature that I read as recently as the 1990s, and it was um, uh, from the Summer Institute of Linguistics. They study language. They estimate that there are currently, in the day you're living in, over 6,900 languages and dialects that are active in the world today. So, so what? What's the big deal? I would bet that most of us in the room couldn't name 25 languages. There's 6,900 active global languages. If he, let's just say the guy was half right and he estimated 20,000 languages in the course of human history. Let's just say he was 50% off. 10,000 historical languages. How many of those languages do you think the Holy Spirit knows? How many could the Holy Spirit, if we're going to follow the hard, fast rule that it must be a known language, how many of us could have the audacity to say, I know all 10,000 of those languages, and what I'm hearing coming from you is not one of those. Come on, we're going to humble ourselves, and we're going to say it is actually possible that there are languages that have existed on planet Earth that are known human languages at one point that we're unfamiliar with, and so let's be very careful not to say that's not a known language, that can't be of the Lord. See, friends, sometimes the intellect, what I've just tried to appeal to you, with your mind. I'm appealing to your reason and your mind. Sometimes the intellect and the spirit intersect, and what happens is we just have to say, well, well, maybe I don't know all of the human languages. Maybe what I assumed was gibberish or nonsense could have been a language from the, from the generation of 500 B.C. to 1 A.D. Maybe that's something they spoke in some unknown remote tribe. My point is this. We need to approach this with humility. We need to recognize that God reserves the right to do a lot of stuff that we can't understand nor explain. And sometimes when it comes to the issue of tongues, our objections intellectually don't pass the test of saying we need to humble ourselves and the facts are the facts. There's a lot of languages that we would never recognize. So my point being is this. Some of us assume that whatever our tongue is, Probably is just a, an angelic language. If I, speak with the, uh, if I speak with the tongues of men or angels, I do believe there's an angelic language. I don't think that the, the, the angels in heaven have been historically speaking English in a Scottish accent. I'm being silly here, but, you know, what, why would Paul say that if there wasn't an angelic language? He wasn't writing a Hallmark card. He, he's writing 1 Corinthians 13 in order to say, hey, look, there's a human language and there's an angelic language. Do I believe that sometimes when we pray in tongues, we're praying in an angelic language? Absolutely. I absolutely believe it, believe it and there's nothing biblically to convince us otherwise. And so why do I go to this great length? Because I'm trying to untangle some of the knots in our reasoning and our intellect to get you to realize it's not something that has to be explained nor understood. It is primarily an endowment from God that he gives for us to experience. And if we experience it by faith. By faith, we say, yes, Lord, use my tongue, my teeth, my lips, my vocal cords, and I will, I will praise you and pray to you in a language that is not my native language. And you do that by faith. And then the other part of it is, and by faith, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to take whatever is happening, you're going to do what you said, we're, we're, I'm going to be built up by this process. 
And I, I'll just testify here, and unfortunately, so much of this has to be personal testimony. But in seasons of prolonged praying in tongues, I know for a fact I always come out so edified and so strengthened. It, there, it's a shift. Something happens. And it is something that God says through right here in this passage. Paul was able to look at the church at Corinth and he said, I want you all to do it. Because some of us are doing the cop-out, the old cessationist cop-out. Well, well, that gift, I don't have that gift. Yeah, but Paul, Paul did say this, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues, do all work miracles. The implied answer is no, but nowhere in Scripture did he say, can all? No. Can all speak in tongues? No. Can all prophesy? No, he never says that. He just simply recognized that not everybody does. And so maybe your history is that you, you said, I've really never done this. I don't, I don't think I'm really needing to do this. Well, it's, it's kind of like you don't know what you've been missing until you experience it. A guy that has, you know, lived on a desert island and all he's ever had to eat was coconuts and fish. And then a cruise ship comes by with a buffet and he's tasting everything he's never tasted before. He was fine with the coconuts and the fish until he tasted everything else that was available. And that's so much like it is with the spiritual gifts. So I'll leave you there and just say, press in and seek the Lord for this. So let me give you, um, again, a couple of things. Tongues are a part of personal prayer and worship. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This is awesome. Because do you know what Paul's saying here? Two things. We get to do it in tongues, and my mind won't really know what's happening, but I get to do it in my native language, and I'll know exactly what I'm praying. So it's not either or. We're not told you have to pray in tongues, and you'll never know what you're praying. Paul said that it was absolutely necessary that there would be times when he prays logically, that he knows what he's saying, his mind is engaged, it is in concert, not only his tongue in concert, but his intellect is in concert. And so he's praying intentionally. He's praying with intercession, and he is saying, I want to pray about these things. So he's using his native language. And so he's saying, what am I going to do when I pray in tongues? My mind doesn't understand. He says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Sometimes I'm going to pray in tongues. My mind's not going to be engaged. Sometimes I'm going to pray in my native language, and I'll know exactly what I'm doing. And then he adds this element. This is what I love. We pray also, um, excuse me, we not only pray in tongues, we get to sing in tongues. We get to worship in tongues. Now this, I'm, I'm going to say it at the risk of being misunderstood as being irreverent, this is fun. Singing in tongues is fun. It is so edified. It is so pure. It is so worshipful. I was walking around the parking lot today, and uh, I had a meeting at 5 o'clock, and wasn't real sure how that meeting was going to go. And I just wanted to get out of the office, and it was such a beautiful day. And so I'm just walking around the parking lot, and I'm praying. And then I, I just felt just like a, an invitation to worship the Lord. And I didn't really have a song in my heart, and I just said... I started saying some things just in English and praying through some made-up courses in English in my head. And I thought, you know, I just don't even want to really think about it. And I just began to sing to the Lord in tongues. And it wasn't loud, thank God, because that would definitely be weird, walking around the parking lot singing in tongues. You know, we have neighbors around here, and they, they might find that a little strange, but it was just quite, it was just me and Jesus. And in those moments, it was probably 10 minutes, just in those moments, such a cleansing 
and a refreshing and a sense of God's pleasure finding me, just knowing, and, and you say, Jeff, that doesn't make any sense. I think it does, and, and follow me on this. Remember when your kids or your grandkids were really little, and they, may, let's just say they were three or four, and it, some of the creative ones would just, I, I'll never forget Alicia doing this, at four years old, standing up on a coffee table in our home on Carriage Way in Lawrenceville, standing up on a coffee table at four, and she was just bound to term, and she was going to sing a song for mom and dad. And she stood up on that coffee table, and she was just, she was freestyling. I mean, she was going. She didn't have a script. She didn't have lyric. And the, the song didn't make any sense. And I remember two things about it. It mentioned Daddy, and it mentioned Cheetos. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, intellectually, a zero. Relationally, wow. So blessed that my daughter was singing in her infantile ability, singing because she wanted to connect with mom and dad. And I received that as if it had been, you know, the, the top-notch Adele song, whatever her latest did. It, it was so pleasing to me. And I'm just an earthly father, and I thought to myself, you know, I believe there's an aspect of that that is uh, parallel to what the father feels when we're singing in tongues. Nobody else might appreciate it, but it's between you and him. You say, well, Jeff, I don't know how to do that. Well, friends, again, if the motivation is intimacy with the Lord and the fuel for it is just faith and you can extract yourself from the over-complexity of, am I getting it right? Is, and, and the fear of, oh, uh, uh, what if I do it wrong? God's not going to be happy. It's all that fear and all that self-awareness and all of that just intellectual kind of baggage that's what keeps us from flowing. Alicia didn't stand on that table at four years old and saying, Daddy, I hope I get this right because I got, I got a song about Cheetos that I really want to share. She, she didn't overcomplicate it. She just trusted that her dad was going to be blessed by what she was going to offer. And it's so much like that when it comes to tongues. Singing in tongues is something that um, Paul practiced. Why do I say that? Because when I think of Paul, I think this is the guy, this Christian stalwart who was the architect of most of the New Testament. He was theologically driven. He was rabbinically trained. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was peerless in his ability to grasp theology and doctrine. And yet he's the same guy that says, yeah, when I'm by myself, I sing in tongues. I sing in the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit. And then he even says later on, yeah, by the way, guys, I actually speak in tongues more than everybody. The reason why I bring that up is because often people say, well, tongues is the baby gift. It's the baby gift. Tell Paul that. See how Paul, because it can't be the baby gift. It can't be insignificant when Paul said, I want you all to do it. I speak in tongues more than any of you. And even though Corinth was miserably failing and abusing the gift, he didn't ever told him, stop doing that. Y'all just can't get it right. He said, I want you to keep pressing in for spiritual gifts. And so the beauty of it is, it's, it's not an admission of losing your intellectual prowess if you begin to flow in the more supernatural gifts. It simply means this, that God, you're recognizing that God created you body, 
Mind, soul, spirit, all of that is comprised in who you are. So with your mind, worship God. With your intellect, worship God. But don't believe that when, when you move into the supernatural or the, 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 the spiritual, don't believe that you're, you're abandoning or you're losing your intellectual credibility. God wants to flow in every aspect of who you are. Your mind, your spirit, in the natural and in the supernatural. And he's deeply pleased and immensely glorified if we will yield and just say, okay, Lord, if that's the way you want it, then I want to emerge in a line with the way you want it. Help me. I don't know what to do. And he begins to work in that honest heart. So I'm going to give you the last couple of things here. I got just a few minutes left. Here's where, again, we're going to see this. Tongues must be self-regulated. Paul's going to come back to this again. Look in verse number 16 and 17, and then I'll add in verse 19. Paul is is telling them, hey, guys, think about what you're doing when you're gathered together. He says this, if you give thanks with your spirit, remember, when he prays in the spirit, when he sings in the spirit, his mind is unfruitful. So he's saying, when that's going on with you, but you're in the gathered church, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, an unbeliever who is attending the gathering, how can they say amen to you giving your thanks in the spirit? Because they don't know what you're saying. He's very practical with this. He's saying, hey, it's not, really, it's not really proper if you're just going on and on in your spirit and there's somebody there in the gathering, they don't even know Jesus. And maybe you're comfortable with what you're doing. And maybe the Christian next to you is comfortable with what you're doing. But Paul says, I want you to be aware that there are some that don't understand it. So he's about to tell them because of that, We need to, here again, bring the mind in. He says this, verse number 17. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. Look at him pastoring that congregation. He's saying, hey, Corinth, appreciate the fact that you guys are zealous for manifestations of the Spirit, but don't be so zealous that your pursuit of spiritual gifts ends up violating the higher principle, 1 Corinthians 13, of love. He says, when you're going after this, you need to recognize that the outsider there is not being built up by what you're doing. So what does he say? He, he, he goes on to say, now nobody make a rule that we forbid speaking in tongues, but he does say this. He says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's important. So what Paul is saying is when the church comes together, he sees the role of the Christian primarily as how can I use whatever gifting I have to build up other people? And Paul has already said, now I'm a tongue talker. I speak in tongues more than anybody down at Corinth. However, let me tell you something, guys. When we come together as a church, I would rather speak for five seconds in a language that can be understood by everybody than to speak for three hours in tongues. I I did the math. I thought, okay, five words versus 10,000 words. I did the math. Okay, five words, five seconds. Five seconds times 10,000, 50,000 seconds. That's about three hours. I, I just think that way. I'm a little weird like that. But the point being is this. Paul said when the church is gathered, he'd rather give five seconds of instruction that could potentially help everybody than to spend three hours speaking, praying, or singing in tongues, which may miss everybody. That gives me a, a, prior, a prioritized principle there. Okay, the best place for my private use of uninterpreted tongues, really the only place, 
as far as when the church is gathered, it can't be predominant. The best place for it is, is privately at home. I don't need an interpreter, uh, an interpreter when I'm in my prayer closet. It's just me and the Holy Spirit. I don't need anybody to interpret that. Now, I told you I'm convicted that the Lord said you ought to pray that you can interpret your own tongue. But the point being is this. When we're gathered together, Dustin and I have had people ask us this uh, over the last year and a half. Hey, how come, you know, it seems like there's kind of a, a damper on everybody praying in tongues together. Well, one of the reasons why, guys, is that the biblical priority is not that we're all, you know, hundreds and hundreds of us running around at the same time praying in tongues. Why? Because it doesn't edify everybody. And so the better use of our time together would be to speak in languages that build each other up. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I'm sitting with five people and I know all of them pray in the Spirit or at least comfortable with it, I don't mind in a prayer group every now and then, our staff meeting or something, and I just, we're, we're getting filled, and, and one of us will just say, boom, and we'll bust out in tongues because we know everybody in that room understands what's going on. But when the crowd grows and we're not sure who we're worshiping with, it's a spiritual consideration to say, this is probably not the best place for me to have my moment. And as a matter of fact, it's probably better that I take this moment and speak five words that'll edify potentially anybody that hears it. So that point just illustrates this. Tongues are to be self-regulated. So guess what an illegal answer is? Um, Pastor, I, I just couldn't help it. I, the Holy Spirit moved. I couldn't stop it. I just had to pray in tongues. Eh, illegal. You violated a principle. Because the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And it actually gives in 1 Corinthians 14 all these instructions about how tongues are to be regulated. Now, if we couldn't resist, it would be ridiculous for Paul to tell us how to do it. Because it would just be, we got zapped by the Holy Spirit. And we, we're sorry. Blame him. Right? <laughs> Y'all are like, Jeff, you are making us nervous. Just Relax. We're thinking through these things that are actually beyond our full ability to comprehend, but there are some parts of it that we can clearly understand, okay? All right, enough of that. Last thing. I've already said that. Well, this is really the last thing. Here we go. Tongues are affirmed, in spite of everything that I've said about regulating them, tongues are affirmed as beneficial. They're beneficial, no getting around it. Chapter 14, verse 18, and then at the end of verse 39, here's where he says it. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then in verse 39, he tells the church, don't forbid speaking in tongues. I'm a Bible believer. This was probably one of uh, uh, maybe three or four verses that uh, in 1997, when I first began being very uncomfortable with the way I'd been trained about the gifts, one of the high hurdles for me was the Bible actually says from Paul to Corinth, do not forbid people from speaking in tongues. And we actually had in our bylaws a clause that says, we stand against speaking in tongues. And I would see that in the bylaws. And then I look at my Bible. Then I look at the bylaws. And I look at the Bible. And I said, one of these has got to go. And it certainly wasn't going to be the Bible. Let me give you a quick word of testimony. Three years ago, before the merge of Cornerstone and Meadow, uh, we had an exodus of people leave this church. And the reason why is because what I was teaching from the Bible did not line up with the bylaws. And literally had two leaders in our church say, Jeff Lyle, 
is violating our bylaws. And I sat down with these two men, and I loved them dearly, but they were wrong. And I said, the bylaws violate the Bible. And they literally chose the bylaws over the Bible. And they left. Took about 100 people with them. See, here's where life gets serious. We have to say, where does our utmost loyalty lie? With a system of religion or with the God of the Bible? And so as for Newbridge Church, you know the answer for that. But I'm going to tell you something. It'll cost you. We need not sing about being loyal to the Scriptures or being Bible believers and Bible livers and Bible preachers. Let's not say that if we aren't willing to do it wherever the Bible speaks. Because most people, when they say, we're Bible believers, they're saying, we believe what our denomination taught us about the Bible. That's a far cry. Listen, truth is what the Scripture says, not what someone said the Scriptures say. And, and so, listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. I believe one of the things, I'm getting way off course here, and fortunately, I've got 30 seconds, so here we go. I believe that one of the marks of the awakening, the last awakening that will find this nation before Jesus returns, I believe one of the marks is there's going to be a, refus- a refusal by the remnant to be imposed upon by denominational expectations. I'll make a bigger statement. I actually believe one of the marks of the next awakening, probably the last awakening that we'll find this nation, is denominations, mainstream denominations, will fade into irrelevancy. Not because because I don't believe in them, but because what's going to happen is God, there's the purging fires of opposition and persecution will come against the church in America. It is going to happen. And what happens in those moments is those fires burn away all of the things that aren't biblically or kingdom relevant. And people that hold on to those things and saying, no, we can't turn loose of this, this, or this, those people are going to grow fewer and fewer and fewer. And ultimately, they won't be willing to die for those denominational norms. People won't die for their, their preferences, but they will. If they're born again, they will die for their convictions. And what are we to be convicted about? We would be convicted about what God says. And where do we find that? We find that primarily in the Word of God. So as we close tonight, Paul said this, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because it's actually really a good thing. And so my counsel to you tonight, we're not going to do the big altar call and come get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're not doing that tonight. But I will say this, some of you are really eager, but you're a little cautious or afraid And that's okay. A lot of great Christians have been exactly where you've been. But if you are willing and open and you desire help or breakthrough in this area and are willing to risk it and can humble yourself and quit bowing at the altar of your intellectual understanding, because that's what I did for a lot of years. I didn't want to experience it because I couldn't understand it. If I couldn't understand it, I couldn't control it. And I didn't want to give myself to anything that I wasn't still in control of. And so... Because I didn't fully understand it and I couldn't control where it went in the sense of, okay, if I cross this threshold, where's my life going to go? I stayed afraid of it for a long time. If you're at that place where you don't, you don't want to stay there anymore, I will tell you very candidly, there, there are people in this church, Dustin's one of them, that just seem to have a grace upon them to help people cross this threshold. And um, I think that it's time. 
I think that if you're at a place where you're ready, you've certainly got some people that are willing to help you. And sometimes the intellectual barriers are strong. So it may not happen immediately. Keep pressing in. It, it, it may not be, you know, this whoa experience. It might be very similar to, I remember when my son received his prayer language. It was just very simple, a handful of syllables, but that's where he began. And because somebody helped him, Pastor Dustin actually helped him that night, now it's a part of his life. He doesn't wear it as a badge, but it helps him. And so if you're at that place in your life where you're ready to say, yeah, I, I actually believe theologically that this is available. I'm willing to say, Lord, I'm going to humbly yield myself to you. And God, I'm going to trust that you will honor your word. You said when this is practiced, it builds me up in my faith. When it's practiced in the church and interpreted, Lord, you said it would bless others. So whatever you want for me, Lord, I step into this. We'll help you with that decision, okay?